You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Welcome back to the best listeners in the world. I know that because you're smart if you're here. Uh, welcome back to Making Data Simple. And I'm here with super genius, <laughs> Adam Kokolowski. He's an IBM fellow, VP and CTO of cloud databases here at IBM. He um, has been with us since 2014 after the acquisition of Cloudant, where he was also incidentally the CTO and, and co-founder. Uh, I know Adam... Uh, that he has a, a track record of open source contributions. He uh, sets our data-related technical strategy for IBM Cloud. He also has a PhD in physics from MIT, bragger, uh, where he studied, well, let, let get this, listen to this, I, and I'm going to probably mispronounce this, gluon's contribution to the spin structure of the proton. Whatever the hell that is. I think we could probably spend the whole time doing that, but the thing is, he has three daughters. So we have something in common there. I don't know how old they are. We'll find out during the, the podcast here, but uh, that's enough for him to, to be on the podcast. Ha Welcome, Adam. Glad to have you here, man. Thank you, Al. Happy to be here. <laughs> Glad to have you here. All right. So I gave a lot of titles. Uh, this is where I asked the question, what the hell do you do, man? Just tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, every day is different, right? Um, I think folks in my role at a company like IBM have a couple of responsibilities. Uh, one is to kind of be the connective tissue for different parts of the organization. You know, it's a huge company doing lots of very interesting things in a diverse array of technological domains. But at the end of the day, our clients expect us to present, you know, one coherent uh, approach to, you know, their business. Um, and fellows, I think, have an important role to play within a company like this in keeping a high bandwidth channel of communication open across these different business units uh, so that we can kind of come forward with one technical strategy. Uh, the other thing we do is um, we're counted upon to be able to assess the business impact of different technological you know, innovations that are coming down the pipe. Right? And be able to kind of summarize that in a way that helps the business leaders make decisions about where you know investments ought to be placed. Uh, and then the final thing after those two is the fun part. And that's just trying to stay on top of all the, the cutting edge technologies that could be uh, relevant for you know the different parts of the business that which we oversee, in my case, cloud databases. Right. So uh, trying to keep pace with all of these crazy new transactional systems that come in, the new ways that we approach delivery of systems of insight in the cloud, all that kind of stuff um, is is really a full time job in its own right. But that's that's the fun, the really fun part of this job. So all data related activities in the cloud are essentially under your domain. More or less. Yeah, more or less. So g give me give me a day in the life of Mr. Adam Kokolowski, Ph.D. <laughs> Uh, sure. So I try to split things up and, you know, you could have a conversation on kind of how to manage a day like this. And I think it'd be an interesting conversation in its own right. Uh, I'm a firm believer that you need to set aside sort of contiguous blocks of time for some careful thought if you're really going to make progress on stitching together a whole bunch of ideas that have been bouncing around in your head and put forward some coherent point of view for how we ought to do things differently as a business. And so I do try to kind of split that up and, and ensure that I do get some points of time in which uh, I've got time to think. 
as it were. Um, but you know, uh, the 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 rest of the day, uh, it's a mix of uh, kind of meetings with the team, right? Um, providing technical oversight and guidance, architectural reviews, things of that nature, uh, along with kind of sort of the the cross IBM guild type of stuff, like. Hey, you know, we're we're rolling out the next generation of cloud computing infrastructure. What are the implications of that new version of the infrastructure for data, for compute services, for integration services, and how do we um, adopt it consistently across the portfolio? And certainly the occasional customer meetings, right? Some of the things that our customers are doing are quite technologically advanced and they hit on the leading edge of some of the capabilities that we're building in the lab. And um, people in my role are oftentimes counted upon as uh, ones who can help tie those two worlds together, right? Um, who have a deep enough understanding of what the customer is trying to do and who are able to connect it to what's just been delivered or just about to be delivered coming out of the lab. So one more step for me, then how would you define success in your role? Hmm. I would say... That's a great question, right? Because there's this sort of checkpoint stuff that <laughs> you do that cascades all the way through the business, right? Yeah. Uh, but for me, I guess the things that I look at um, when when we're being successful, I guess there's a bit of a gut sense about it, right? Um, when when the team's successful, it's because uh, I, I see that there's. Um, a shared understanding of the technical strategy, right? I look at my role in part as a communicator of that strategy. And when you've got the different um, senior developers and product managers and so on, kind of moving in lockstep, you just kind of, you can feel the flywheel start to turn faster, right? Because you don't have to sit down and re-explain the, the principles of why we're here building what we are, um, nor do you have to kind of arbitrate between differing points of view about that, that strategy. Right. So a clear, consistent understanding of that technical strategy is certainly one thing that I look at as a marker of success for someone in my role. Um, and then I think it's about, you know, kind of the velocity with which, you know, some new innovations can be can be incorporated into the product. Right. Um, and, and that's a that's a tougher one, I think, sometimes because you have different products at different phases of maturity. Uh, but, you know, I look at uh, my responsibility is to make sure that we you know remain and and improve our standing as a tech company. Uh, and that really means, you know, a strong linkage with things that are happening in academia, things that are happening in research and, and you know, sort of um, quickly pulling those into, to, you know, a product portfolio that can help our clients meet their business goals. So essentially understanding, you know, a, a, an end-to-end organizational-wide or, or even company-wide, understanding the technical strategy and a velocity of innovation. That's right. So you came in to IBM after the acquisition of Cloudant. We talked about that earlier, where you were CTO and co-founder. Uh, what can you can you talk a little bit about the driving factor that led you to co-found Cloudant? Uh, how you got started there, and then I don't want to give it away, I guess, but I want to also you're still here, so <laughs> there must be a reason you stayed. So those are the two part question. That's right. Uh, the founding story. I mean. The story that we always told the investors was that we were working on massively scalable data processing systems in the world of particle physics. And we saw an opportunity where we thought a lot of other industries 
we're going to be faced with managing much larger systems as they move to become more of a digital business. Uh, and we looked at the, what was happening in the database space and realized that there was kind of this uh, Cambrian explosion of different approaches to data management. This was about 10 years ago when all these NoSQL databases were, were spinning up. And we felt like there was an opportunity for folks with our kind of operational experience to come in and start to market a different way of managing data um, you know, for the development of these kind of high-scale applications. We kind of backed into a business model there of offering it as a cloud service, and that turned out to be one of the more important decisions we got right, because um, I think it really did uh, foreshadow, you know, a pretty rapid rise in the in the adoption of cloud-based database systems. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that that you know IBM found particularly valuable about what we were doing. Um, coming yeah. into, you know, go ahead. No, 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 go coming in. Go to tell me about it. That's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that was really, you know, sort of IBM getting very serious about cloud and looking at what we were doing as a cloud first, cloud native database service and saying, hey, this can be sort of a foundational component for us. Um, and so what keeps me here, frankly, I really appreciate the ability to kind of work on big problems and when we get things right, make a big impact, you know? Um, at a company like Cloudin, you know, we were able to um, make a difference in the lives of many of our customers. Uh, but, you know, what I like about IBM is is the opportunity to scale that, uh, you know, at a far bigger level. Um, yep. I, I think, you know, the, the folks who work here are passionate about what we do and, um, you know, approach what we do in really a very sort of um, mature, responsible and ethical way. And it's a company that I can wake up every morning and feel really proud to work for and really, you know, root for its success. Uh, And so, you know, as long as we as a company remain committed to this strategic imperative of, you know, cloud computing, um, which is something about which I'm particularly technically passionate, then, hey, you know, I don't really see a better place to be. All all good statements, all of which I agree with. But when you first you know, we're going through IBM, what did you think? I mean, you tell me the truth. Were you like, oh, my God, I'm going to. Big blue here. I'm going from a small pond <laughs> to a huge ocean. What is this going to be like? I mean, what was going through your head? Uh, you know, th- th- there were certainly some interesting meetings, and as as we were going through the acquisition discussions, right? And I'm sort of sitting there arrayed by like, you know, it's it's me and a colleague on one side of the table, and you know, two dozen IBMers on the other side, asking everything they could about the the way we had built the service that we had built, um, and so that gave us a sense of the scale for sure. Uh, but I think very, very quickly, um, I had a chance to get to meet a lot of very technically savvy and committed IBMers. And I think that was one of the things that in the first six months kind of sealed things for me was just like realizing that folks weren't here just kind of punching the clock, that they really cared very deeply about what it is they were trying to do. And, um, you know, we're just in the middle of trying to steer this ship in a new direction. And I think, um, I had a healthy appreciation for what it would take to do that. You know, as I looked at some of these amazing sort of billion dollar businesses that have been built over the years, I understood that, you know, they're instrumental in keeping our clients' businesses running. And that's a responsibility we shouldn't take lightly. And at the same time, we're trying to rapidly move into these new markets. So I guess I, you know, had an appreciation for the complexity of the task that that was at hand. Um, but, you know, I, the like I said, the, the sort of dedication and commitment and sort of technical wherewithal of the team that I was working with was, was really apparent and, you know, got me pretty excited. 
there was also the whole process stuff, right? Like the survival guide to working with Lotus Notes and things of that nature, you know, five <laughs> years ago. Um, but frankly, the tools have changed so much in these last five years that the, you know, my daily development machine now doesn't look all that much different than it would be if I was running in my own startup. You know, we have sort of best in class tools to, to get our work done these days. And I'm quite happy with that. Um, so I think that big company process bit has really kind of fallen by the wayside. So what's the biggest, biggest change or what's the biggest delta, do you think? Um, I think it's probably decision-making velocity when you're kind of come cutting across different parts of the business, right? Um, you can decide on a dime, you know, in the course of an executive meeting or at worst a board meeting that like, hey, we're going to kind of enter this new product offering or we're going to have a shift in our marketing strategy or, or something like that. And, you know, once sort of few of you in the room are sort of say, yep, give it a go, the decision's made and you're starting to execute, right? And if you're not careful, those kinds of decisions can get bogged down in layers of reviews and cross-checks and sort of requests for comments in, in, in a larger company. And so I think that's something you just have to be fairly um, proactive about addressing, right? And, and sort of just give people the rules of the road about like, hey, we're making this decision, you know, speak up or hold your peace. Look, a lot of a lot of things can be done asking for forgiveness. I know that's the old uh -huh. That's right. <laughs> I'm with you. But I think the biggest, you know, change, I came through acquisition just the, just the same a little bit earlier than you. And uh, I think everything you say holds true. Um, you know, at, I don't know that IBM's been more agile than it is today. I mean, we use all the latest tools, et cetera. And it's pretty much a uh, look, uh, it, whatever tool, even if we make it, it's a fair fight. If there's an external one and I've never, you know, that, that wasn't the case when I first got into IBM. Now it's like, look, agree. it's fair, fair fight. If there's somebody else got a better tool, we'll use it. That either makes our tools better or we move on and do something different. And I think the other ch challenge is, is, and you, you alluded to this. Yeah. I mean, we are, you know, we've got a great business. We've got great clients, uh, in a great community ecosystem, et cetera. But we're, that also means we're changing the engine while we're, we're flying the plane at the same time. So if you talk to too many people that have different parts involved with that engine or however you want to say it, yeah, you can get bogged down in terms of getting that engine changed. That's why ask for forgiveness it tends to work. <laughs> I like so that. Let me, let me ask you this though. You alluded to this before and you talked about uh, understanding the technical strategy, um, having one coherent, I think you said it as quote unquote, one coherent strategy. So look, here's the question I have. We have a lot of databases here at IBM. Indeed. And, uh, you know, we got everything from DB2Z to DB2 to, to Cloudant. And then we also, many, many uh, clients may not know this or listeners, is that we also support uh, other, you know, third-party, essentially, databases like Mongo, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Where do they all fit in? Could you, you know, if I'm a customer right now and I say, Adam, which database do I freaking use? Just tell me. You know, you got too many of them. There's too many decisions. Like going to, to the, the restaurant and you see 20 steaks. I can't figure out which one I'm going to order here. What What is your advice and, and what's your direction? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you this. The, one of the reasons we have as many databases as we do in the portfolio is because we're responding to the needs of development teams that are making these decisions in increasingly decentralized fashion. Right. Um, you know, whether you like that or not, it, it, it's, it's, I think, um, an undeniable reality that, uh, 
these individual developers have more decision-making authority than maybe they used to. And IT organizations are often faced with the dilemma of saying, all right, um, you know, these, this team's chosen to use MongoDB, this other one's got Postgres and Elasticsearch. How do I kind of wrap my hands around this estate and make sure that, that as a business, we continue to manage this estate with the right level of governance and the right level of operational maturity and the right level of, you know, kind of considerations around high availability. And so I think that's, you know, the opportunity for a cloud service provider is to come in and, and offer that level of um, standardization that gives the developers the flexibility to use the tools that they wanted to use when they initially architected the application, but puts it all under one consistent management framework. Now, with that being said, we also have, you know, our own deep investments into database technology where we have a greater degree of autonomy to, um, to, to, you know, modify and enhance the technology to meet the specific needs that we're observing in our customers' most demanding applications. And so certainly we do that all the time with DB2. We always have, we'll continue to do so. Uh, and that's, you know, that, that gives us the ability to make a stronger end-to-end statement about, you know, IBM's ability to stand behind that technology to support a particular business need. Same goes for Cloudant, right? And Cloudant, you know, interestingly sort of straddles those two worlds of being an open source project where IBM's leading, um, the leading contributors to the project, uh, and also something that is foundationally, you know, um, a managed service in the IBM cloud supporting all kinds of use cases, both internal and external. So, you know, the way I look at it is um, we don't have to sell our users all that often on the use of a particular open source third-party data store. They've oftentimes made that decision and they're coming to us to say, hey, what can you do to help support us in this decision that we've made? Um, <clears throat> and then for these other more deep, you know, sort of deep technologies like Cloud and DB2, it's, you know, it's, it's us coming forward and saying, look, um, based on what we've observed from the requirements of these demanding enterprise applications, we think these technologies are, are really engineered for fit um, to, to meet your needs, you know, both in your critical systems of record, as well as your, you know, sort of cloud native systems of engagement. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think um, it can look overwhelming when you see the breadth of the portfolio, but I think what we oftentimes find is that the folks there's a sort of self-selection going on of developers who are sort of very clear, like they know what they want um, and they're looking for someone who can help them, you know, stand it up in production. But you do admit that there is a lot of crossover. I think that's where the confusion can sometimes come in. Yeah. Like, like if I'm on DB2, I can say, look, I can, DB2 can do no SQL, mm-hmm. you know, cloud can do no SQL. Um, what do you, you know, what, what, so how do you, how do you guide a client there or do you let them, you know, choose the, their, 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 um, their choice or make their choice. I, you know, I struggle with it sometimes because I mean, we can go deep, right? We can get into all kinds of nitty gritty details about how like revision histories are managed and the different ways in which these databases employ different types of replication topologies. And there are real trade-offs there um, for clients who are trying to build global applications or for clients who are trying to stitch things together across on-premises and, and, and public cloud environments. And those are difficult things to distill down into like one decision tree. Um, But they are certainly things that like through a conversation with the client, we can get to a place where we can confidently recommend one technology over another. And I think that's part of the the advantage that we have is this, you know, this relationship that we build with them, right? So you're right. At the end of the day, you know, databases are are doing, you know, a couple of things, right? They're, They're sort of storing data durably, never losing it and allowing you to ask interesting questions of it. And all the variations within there, um, you know, inevitably are going to still maintain some degree of overlap. Um, 
But uh, you know, I, I've we, we've gone down this path a couple of times, right? Of trying to say, hey, here's here's the database selection guide, um, mm-hmm. and I think it's it ultimately ends up having to be a little bit reductivist, a little bit simplistic, uh, and and you know, I think it really is um, something that it's an important choice for an application development team. It's something that typically you're stuck with for a little bit of a uh, time. So it, it, it's prudent to spend some time making the right decision. Uh, and that's something that, that, you know, I think we can typically help with, um, you know, with some individualized guidance outside of the broad strokes of, you know, is it an analytic use case? Is it an operational use case? Do you need this feature, that feature and so on. Fair enough. So then the following question I have here is then how is cloud or as the service how is how has cloud or as a service paradigm changed the database landscape and the in the way consumers look to uh, set up their information architecture? Yeah, so I think there's two questions there. Um, if you ask how cloud has changed the database landscape, I think you can approach that question from an architectural perspective. For example, in the analytics world, you've seen a tremendous shift as you redesign these environments to take better advantage of. Um, on-demand access to compute resources to take better advantage of really, really durable, dense, you know, cloud object storage um, services. Uh, and I think we've seen a, a tremendous shift over the past several years of people refactoring you know, sort of data lake environments and data warehouse environments to deliver more of the business value of cloud um, to clients, you know, more of that kind of... Um, uh, OPEX, more of the the you know the elasticity in spend, more of the scalability, um, and, and and so on. Um, and you've seen a, a, a somewhat similar shift happening in the transactional side of the house too, um, with stuff that we can happily go into in, in more detail. But the as a service side of it is at least as interesting. Um, I think on the one hand, you see a bit of tension um, in in organizations where, you know, you've got um, database administrators who are used to having very fine-grained control over systems that are very much tuned to very particular use cases within the organization. And in coming to cloud, you know, as a service offerings, some of those knobs and some of those dials are sometimes removed in the interests of standardization and the interests of operational efficiency. And you get a performance profile that is going to necessarily be a little bit different than what you saw on-prem. And so that's a, you know, that's kind of a, 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 a change in thinking and a change in um, approach to consuming these databases that um, is a journey for some people. Uh, but I also think that the economic situation that is um, introduced by as-a-service offerings is a really, really important one. A lot of these new database startups that come by, right? They're they're if not open source systems, they're at least source available systems, and they're not you know trying to replicate the traditional business model of a DB two or an Oracle or a SQL Server. Right? Instead, many of them are looking to establish some degree of ubiquity by making their software available for developers to download, and then figuring that they can build monetization through offering their technology as a cloud service. Right? I think we're seeing that. Um, more and more and more and more. Uh, you know, even companies that didn't maybe start out that way have moved to it relatively aggressively. I think MongoDB is a great example. Um, you know, that the the Atlas cloud service that they built has established a pretty healthy run rate in a relatively short period of time, despite not being their initial monetization strategy. You know, and I sort of selfishly or, or sort of um, 
uh, nostalgically look back at it, and, and this is one place where I think Cloudant was was somewhat ahead of its time, was embracing that kind of as a service paradigm. I think that's something that we now see uh, more and more and more from these individual database vendors. So I deal with a, a lot of, as you might imagine, a lot of customers using databases, and I know that they like to get their hands dirty, at least today, mm-hmm. you know, messing with optimizers and stuff like that, performance, and some of it's unique to their environment. But I got to mm-hmm. believe as the move to cloud accelerates that uh, the the need for autonomic databases and uh, AI and databases is going to go through the roof because you just don't have access to those knobs. Spot on, Al. Spot on. I, I, I very much agree with you. Um, I think the move to cloud is is making that uh, sort of self-driving database more of an, uh, you know, uh, uh, a demand. And I also think just the sheer complexity of some of these database management systems is is um, propelling us in this direction. You know, it's getting to the point where the the optimizers and the planners are somewhat more complicated than any one individual can really uh, grasp. Uh, effectively, and so you know, you need systems that that um, can do a bit more learning on their own. Uh, but I absolutely agree that that in the cloud, um, you know, there's there's something of a holy grail for a system that can learn from a particular pattern, you know, a workload pattern introduced by a particular client, and help make smarter planning decisions inside the database based on that um, client specific learning uh, in a scalable way. And it's a it's a huge driver. Do you foresee a time where all data and data stores will be cloud-based? Yes, but not on a terribly short time scale. I think it's um, it continues to be a tough business justification to shift, like some of these, you know, mainframe databases, for example. Um, could you host them directly in the cloud? Yeah, I suppose you could, and I think that'll be an important step as some of their clients, some clients, look to get out of the data center business altogether. Right? Um, I do think that, like the large majority of new workloads, are headed to the cloud, and not just sort of in traditional architectures, but in you know more cloud native ones that adopt as a service for the database component of it. How do you learn, Adam? I mean, how do you keep up with all the trends? You talk about contiguous contiguous space when we first started this this discussion. Yeah. But uh, look, it's changing very fast. I'm a continuous learner, and I'm always liking to take uh, looking to take uh, you know hints and tips from folks. What's your secret? Hmm. Uh, I don't know that there is one. Um, it's certainly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I feel uh, blessed to be to to have that continuous learning be an important part of my job responsibilities. You know, it's it's a it's it's great to be able to find a job like that. Uh, but you know, I I think there's part of it is building the right network of people who are you know subject matter experts in particular spaces and can kind of you can get a leading indicator of what things are interesting in their space just by their level of excitement about particular topics and that can help guide you as to where to dig in deeper um so i you know i try to i try to sort of use that as as one filter for sure um and otherwise, I don't know, I guess uh, speed reading. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there are people out there who do a good job of kind of summarizing, you know, interesting literature coming out in the field. And, and you know, so I've got a few of those newsletters that like, uh, you know, end up being sort of someone's take on the abstract of a few particular papers. Uh, and that works reasonably well for fields where I'm already pretty familiar, right? I can get what's to your the go-to, pretty quick. What's your go-to source? Um, yeah, so I think um, I think one that provides a nice survey in the IT space is uh, Adrian Collier's The Morning Paper. Uh, so he's a venture capitalist over at Excel Partners, I believe. And he'll pick one paper each day, right? And we'll kind of provide 
link to the paper summary and his take on, you know, how that has uh, implications for the field. And I think that one's, you know, it covers a nice cross section of our, our industry um, and provides like a good level of technical depth um, in a bunch of different fields. Nice. That's a good, that's a good, good suggestion. I'm going to give you the toughest question you've had ever. <laughs> how do you raise three daughters? Oh my gosh. <laughs> if you know, tell you me. tell me, you know, <laughs> no, no, these, these girls perfect. are great. My, my daughters are, you know, they're all um, in, in elementary school now, um, which I, I think is such a fun age, right? Because uh, they still uh, share everything with you. And, and yet they're also sort of like independent individual, like human beings that, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, are, are rapidly evolving in their own interests and, and everything. Um I don't know. We've been incredibly fortunate with, with, with all three of them. Um, they, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't you know. for number four? <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. I think, I think three is, is, is you an awesome crew. You learned three like me, huh? Uh, yeah. And I, three versus four, I tell you, it, it's all kind of a, a madhouse any, any way, any way you slice it. But, uh, I think, um, we're super excited to see them as they grow right now and, and not particularly keen to wind back the clock to the original days of, um, yeah, diaper yeah. changes and, and so on. Well, you know, once you're outnumbered, you're outnumbered. That's exactly matter. right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I can't give you my advice, uh, on, on public air, uh, that I would normally give, but here, here's what I would say. Uh, my girl's a little bit older now. Uh, girls tend to love their daddies, which is good. That and and God knew uh, mm -hmm. exactly which which gendered it to 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 give me to, to <laughs> get me in the headspace where I needed to be at. But uh, the other thing is, yeah, if there's any one piece of advice is just to be a yes dad. You know, it's always easy to say, well, I got to read this, this, the, the morning paper, like you were talking about, yeah, when you're yeah, asking yeah. Me to do something. my advice to you is do it. You will never regret, you know, doing whatever they're asking you to do, no matter how silly it is. Thanks, so. <laughs> Al. Hey, all right. So I'm going to play a little game here. This is a little lightning round very quickly. Uh, some fun stuff. I just go through just to get where, you, where your head's at. You ready? Go for it. All right. This is a would you rather. So, you know, this is, this is like your, what your daughters come up and say, Hey dad, would you rather do this? Would you rather ice cream? Whatever. Would you rather, you know, any answer is fine. Cloud or hybrid cloud? Hmm. Cloud. All right. I like it because IBM would, the, the, the IBM standard approach of hybrid cloud, but I know you'd be a cloud guy. I, no, that's okay. That's all right. Cause you like cloud. I get it. It's so much uh, simpler that way. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know. Of course. Of course. That's fine. I like it. So you're legit. We already established that. Netflix or Hulu? Mm. Netflix. All right. Kubernetes or Docker? Kube. All right. Beating Harvard or anyone else? <laughs> um, anyone else. Anyone else. MIT's main uh, bugbear is uh, Caltech. That's, that's, that's where it really goes. Content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't know that. I mean, I thought Harvard being, you know, closer would be um, would be the bigger rivalry, you know? You get a little bit of that, but I think when it comes to hacking sensibilities, right, um, I think it's the Caltech folks that are consistently trying to one-up each other. All right. All right. You're still in Cambridge, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, our offices are just a couple blocks away. It's it's great. It's a fantastic neighborhood to be in these days. Do you days. ever go over there and talk or anything? Do any yeah, speech? occasionally. Absolutely. Um, you know, we've got the MIT Watson AI Lab, uh, which is on the same floor as our cloud databases unit. So, you know, there's, there's always a steady stream of MIT folks coming in and out, um, you know, working on like AI internships and things like that. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities for collaboration. All right. All right. So we're going to continue on. We're going to do a little overrated or underrated. Mm. 
These are probably too easy, I think. But open source. Actually, that's not so easy. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with overrated. Nice. All right. Um, uh, unstructured data. Hmm. I'm also going to go with overrated. But maybe that's because uh, in my world, everybody is always talking about how we don't pay enough attention to it and how important that it is. So that's a little bit of a near-term bias, right? I hear so much about it these days. I sometimes people feel like people don't remember just how important the actual structured data they have under wraps is. I, could, I, I would have made that connection. I, I need your connection on the open source then, if you're going to explain that one. What, what, why overrated open source? Yeah, so I think that one comes down to cloud for me, right? Uh, I think that as more things move to the cloud, there's a tremendous availability, like a, an ability to build businesses on cloud services um, that that make an open source project a little bit less important than it used to be. Fair enough. No sequel. Hmm. Another tough one. So these, are, these actually aren't easy, Al. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with that one is is right where it ought to be. I think there was a point in time when it was quite overrated. Um, and I think people sort of, you know, a lot of the original NoSQL systems threw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's a broad-based recognition of the power of um, transactional SQL databases these days. And many of those SQL databases have recovered a lot of the scalability of a NoSQL system. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, we're kind of exactly where we ought to be there. All right. So kind of it is what it is today, and that's where it should be. Yep. All right. Five nines of high availability. Five nines. Um, That's for those listening, 99.99% availability. Underrated. And not because you actually need the downtime as small as it is, but because the number of things you do to build a 5.9 system are, are like, you just can't fake it, right? Yep. HTAP, hybrid transactional analytical processing. For those listening, you may know this, but if not, it's it's the ability to do transaction analytics like reports at the same time as you're doing like ATM transactions or something. In the cloud, I think it's overrated. I think it's possible to integrate these systems um, out of the box quite nicely within cloud providers and the extra copies of the data can be managed. And, you know, I think, um, I think the kind of stuff we talked about with like AI infused transactions is, is, is important. And some people have that under the, the banner of HTAP. Um, but I think the idea that you have to be able to do transactions on the same physical copy of the data as your uh, analytics or vice versa is overrated in the cloud. I think I know this is the last one. Machine learning optimizer. <laughs> um, that one I think is underrated. I think there's going to be a lot we can do with that. I, I would have been very surprised if you said overrated on that one. Yeah. All right, man. This has been freaking awesome. Where can people find out more about what you're working on or, or get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, so I actually just gave a talk at the Foundation DB Summit on some of the work that we're doing here to sort of really redo the internals of some of our uh, cloud database systems to um, adopt a system in Foundation DB that uh, is both super scalable and delivers strict serializable transactions. And I think it's a great example of you know kind of this cyclical nature of innovation in the database space. Um, so if you want to learn more about what we've been up to in IBM Cloud and the data space, uh, I think that talk is is um, gives a very nice survey. 
Fantastic. We'll put that in the show notes. That, that's terrific. Any other places? Does LinkedIn, Twitter, that kind of stuff? Well, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm, I'm reasonably active on Twitter and I'm always up for a conversation there. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, you know, certainly wow. feel free to reach out. Adam, you you held up to every expectation. I had high expectations. Thank you, thank you hey. so much, and thanks for putting up with me. This has been great. Thanks uh, for doing this, Al. I think it's a it's a it's a great opportunity. Yeah, no, thank you so much, and we'll get people to uh, you know get in contact with you and, and to review your your reference you just provided. So, hey, thanks for everybody that that's listening as always. Uh, and as always, if, if you have any feedback, just hit almartintalksdata gmail.com. Until next time, we'll see you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out.